Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Michael Navarrete, who's the Assistant Director of Undergraduate Admissions at Rochester Institute of Technology. Michael, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. I feel like I'm finally part of the modern world with a podcast here. <laughs> it's our pleasure. And yes, we're absolutely a part of this modern world. And I can't wait to hear about RIT and all the great programs that you offer. So Michael, let's get right to it. Tell us, what is it about RIT that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? RIT is really just a great school overall and that we have more than 90 different programs, but we're incredibly interdisciplinary. So there's nine different colleges, you know, everything under the sun. So of course we have computing and engineering, but art and design, health sciences, physical sciences, liberal arts, a national ranked business school. And our students are really not limited to taking just coursework within their major. They have that freedom and flexibility to take a step outside and explore. But even bigger than all of that, and really the main pulse of everything at RIT, is that we are very career-focused and oriented. So built into the majority of our programs, we have something called co-op, cooperative education. And this is the opportunity to work a full-time paid job before our students graduate. And the idea is, is that when they do graduate, not only do they have a diploma, but they're also going to have a resume full of real-world experience, you know, professional contacts, some money in their pocket, but even above and beyond all that, they're going to know what they want to do and also how to do it so that when they do leave RIT, they're just ready to hit the ground running. They don't have to get trained in the lab because they've literally done it all before. Certainly, we have outstanding facilities. Again, whether or not it's art and design, computing security, we have an enormous makerspace and we're building one that's even 50 times larger than that. But then, too, I also want to say that above all, this is a community. This is not an ultra competitive cutthroat place. We have lots of busy bees who are certainly interested in what it is that they're doing, but they're also interested in what other people are doing as well and coming together to do that multidisciplinary work just as part of a larger whole. Well, that's a phenomenal introduction, and I love the cooperative education program. That's certainly unique, where students get a full-time paid job while in college, so before they graduate, and like you said, to build their resume, they're making contacts, 
That's phenomenal, Michael. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I was curious, how many applications do you actually review a year? And do you, Michael, represent a specific region? So we get more than 20,000 applications a year. Me personally, I'm reading about 1,500 of them. We have something called differential admissions. So we read individually for specific programs and usually people are assigned, say, a particular college or even a specific major. I read for the generally for the College of Engineering Technology. So that's about 1,500, give or take, sometimes a little game design or, you know, helping other people out as well. But say for mechanical engineering, that's about 3,000 applications. So that's going to be split over two or three different people. So rather than reading geographically, again, it's going to be broken down into smaller things. And this differential admissions, because we are reading for specific programs, that just essentially means that different programs require different strengths. So when I am reading these applications, you know, I'm paying more attention to math and science and just technology overall, because those are the kinds of students. So it's the relative coursework that's going to be desired for that major. And someone who's reading for, say, art and design, business, or the liberal arts, they're looking for completely different characteristics in their students. Well, thank you so much for that intro. And there are so many great programs that RIT offers, like you said, computer science, engineering, art and design, game and design. So tell me, if a student wants to demonstrate interest, in other words, if they want you to know, Michael, that if you accept them, they are, in fact, going to attend RIT, what are some of the things that they can do, again, to demonstrate that interest? And do you track such things? Yeah, certainly demonstrated interest is becoming increasingly important as you know we move forward into the future. And it's essentially the student letting the university know that they are as interested in them as we should be. They are as interested in us as we should be interested in them. So many ways that you can do this, contacting your admissions, your regional counselor that you're going to do that. Certainly when you do apply, you could make your essay even RIT specific, but you know, visit us, participate in our events, whether it be virtual or in person, an open house kind of thing. Literally every time that you send us a note, we are aware of it and we are tracking it. But it's also just as simple as filling out a FAFSA and making sure that you're sending it to us, that you're interested in receiving financial aid from RIT. Because if you didn't even take that step, well, then, you know, what kind of signal are you sending us? Are you really serious about committing? Any kind of university that's going to make a decision to admit you is going to want to make offer you that on a good bet. They want you to come. They want you to be part of that student, but they're not going to invite you if they don't think that you're really going to commit. So certainly all these steps to really demonstrate that you did your homework, that you think that you're going to be a good part of this community, a good fit, and really bring something, not only participate, but also contribute to the larger university community is certainly going to be something that we are looking out for. Well, that's great advice. Letting students know that it's important for them to express how they're going to contribute to the RIT community and family. But I like what you said about attending even virtual events, because it's not so simple for everyone to come to Rochester necessarily multiple times a year. But I do know, thanks to COVID, that you and many schools offer virtual events. So taking part of that and really immersing yourself is a great way to let colleges know that students are in fact interested. So thank you so much for that intro, Michael. I appreciate it. And speaking of the students, what is the average profile of the current freshman class in terms of GPA and any other related data that you collect, such as ACT or SAT scores? Sure. So when we're talking the university-wide as a whole, we're generally talking about an A student. You know, on a 100-point scale, it's like a 91 to a 97, maybe a 3.7 or over if you're on a four-point scale. 
We are completely test optional, but if you're looking in that range, it's like a 1270 to a 1450 or even a 29 to a 34 for that ACT. I would say that, you know, overall, this number, these averages change a little bit every year because that new incoming class is going to push that bar a little higher or lower. And then, of course, touching back on the differential admissions where we are reading for specific programs and just colleges overall, you may have a higher or a lower number depending on what it is that you're applying to. You know, certainly computer science, engineering, these definitely require more math and science overall. And that's generally going to skew those standardized test scores a little bit higher than it would be for someone who is applying to art and design or the liberal arts. Well, I appreciate that. And Michael, do you use the student's high school GPA as indicated on their transcript? Or do you calculate using your own metrics? And if so, if you could just give us a little bit of insight in terms of that part of the process, we'd greatly appreciate it. Sure. So we are reading transcripts from high schools all over the world, international as well as domestic. Everyone has their own different systems and some people don't even use numbers. So what we try and do is we really try and standardize it. And we, whatever scale that the school is going to use, and usually the school will include some kind of school report that really lets us know what scale it is that they're using, be it a four point scale or even an 11 point scale or more. We've seen higher as well. And we try and rank it down and bring it down to, you know, what is outstanding performance, good performance, average performance, and, you know, just not doing well overall and really kind of stabilize it. And in our own opinions, our own interpretations, you know, we have an admissions committee and we'll look at this transcript and say, does this score that's out of a hundred, this number that we've given them really make sense when it comes to that GPA overall, so that everyone is on that same kind of level playing field and we're giving everyone equal weight and equal consideration, regardless of whatever it is that they're going to use. Understood. And thank you so much for that. And Michael, what are the different ways a student may apply to RIT? And is there a benefit to applying one way over the other? So we have a couple different decision plans. We have early decision one and two, as well as regular decision. Early decision, you know, is generally a binding agreement. You want to reserve that for your number one choice school because the idea is if they say yes, then you agree to come and you're going to withdraw from everywhere else that you've applied to. Uh, our early decision one deadline is November 1st. It's going to be January 1st for early decision two. Our version of early decision, though, is different from virtually every other school out there in that, yes, it is a binding agreement, but we call it friendly binding. So that means that there are a few instances in which you can be released from that. I should say too, what the advantages are, why would you even want to apply to early decision? Acceptance rates are generally gonna be higher overall. And you know, you're also getting all your ducks in a row sooner. So financial aid is coming sooner and you're gonna get the same consideration as you would for a regular decision applicant, at least here at RIT. And also the class registration as well as housing registration process will start sooner for you. So you know, you can get all that off your back and just get in a little bit earlier, find out things, and as I said, get yourself set. But returning back to that friendly binding where you can be released. So on your application at RIT, you can actually put down three different program choices, first, second, and third. And if you apply early decision, but are not accepted in your first choice, you know, maybe it's a very competitive capped program, whatever the reason is, if you are not accepted for your first choice under early decision, you can be released. Number two, we are gonna give you a full financial aid package. As I said, it's no more, but it's no less than a regular decision applicant would be considered for, but we're gonna give you all the information that you need to make the best decision for yourself. And if you determine that RIT is just not affordable, that you can't make it work, 
you can be released. You know, we don't want to drag you kicking and screaming. Why don't you make the best decision for yourself and your family, something that's going to make sense. And that that is the case. Please talk to us, appeal and speak to financial aid. You know, you can always ask for more money. It's not some dark looming tower. They would be more than happy to speak to you. The reason that we admitted you and accepted you is because we want you to join. The final reason might be early decision is early. And that decision is probably going to come sooner, long before any other decisions come out. And it may be that you're just not ready to commit yet. So you can change your mind. You can actually change to regular decision. If that is the case, then you are no longer accepted because now you're going to get reconsidered with everyone else who's coming in. But then it's not that binding agreement and you do have more time overall. Well, we appreciate that overview. And I also love that you give the financial aid package, which of course is very important in helping students and their families determine whether or not RIT is going to be the right fit for them. Michael, what about portfolios? Are there programs at RIT that require portfolios? And if so, what advice would you give students in terms of preparing to submit their portfolios? So our name is Institute of Technology, but the College of Art and Design is actually the third biggest college within the university. So many different programs, film and animation is outstanding. Obviously photography, we more or less invented it in Rochester. So we're number one in the world for that. Uh, Kodak, right? Yeah, exactly. Kodak, Bosch, Lam, and Xerox. Ironically, photography does not require a portfolio, but any of our other BFAs, Bachelors of Fine Arts will require submission of a portfolio. And it's essentially a two-part application because in admissions, we're going to look at you academically, but then your portfolio is actually vetted by faculty at the College of Art and Design, and they're going to rank it and let us know whether or not they think that you are acceptable for RIT. Your portfolio is really going to say a lot about you, you know, your level of enthusiasm for the art, the types of work that you're comfortable in, and just even how you interpret your own ideas through that art. Many different ways, again, good for demonstrated interest, but also just to get feedback. We participate in National Portfolio Day. This is, again, when you can get feedback directly, virtually or in person from faculty at the College of Art and Design. We have something called Connect and Critique that is specific to RIT. And even at our prospective student open houses, which happen every year in the fall, again, virtually previously, but we're fingers crossed it's going to be in person again this year. You can interact with faculty at the College of Art and Design to get that feedback. If you are applying to just general, say, studio art or design, it's usually 10 to 20 pieces of your best work. If you're thinking film and animation or even you know production, then you really wanna focus on direct observation, but also ways to showcase your storytelling ability and again, how you are just interpreting this art. Medical illustration, we also have that very cool program. Again, you're gonna focus on natural forms, but all of this information is readily available online. I certainly encourage you to check it out because they do offer more specific information if anyone is curious. And then finally, we do have game design and development as well as new media interactive development, many different programs that are involved just within that larger gaming arts. Portfolios are not required for them. They are optional and you are free to submit them. And they're more of an all things being equal kind of thing. Maybe you want to try and tip the balance a little bit. And those are, again, vetted by faculty within interactive games and media. And they will let us know whether or not they think you might be a good fit for RIT. Well, we appreciate that overview. And I will absolutely include the Office of Admissions for RIT in the show notes, Michael. If there are any other links that you want me to include for the students and parents, just send it to me. And of course, I'll make it available. Michael, what about interviews? Do you offer interviews? And if so, what advice would you give a student preparing for their interview? 
We do offer interviews, but we also like to call them conversations. So in the old days before COVID, certainly we would go out in person and have interviews in people's hometowns. And again, fingers crossed, we'll see what happens this fall. <laughs> but of course, we have many options on campus as well as virtual options. And we do call them conversations because they are really meant to be more uh, informational than evaluative. So we really want Above all, you know, college is a big decision in your life. We want to make sure that it's the right decision for you, that we are a good fit for you. So if you do do an interview, again, great way to show demonstrated interest, but we really want you to come prepared with your own questions. What would you like to know about RIT? How can we help you specifically? We'd like to know a little bit about you because we do take notes from that interview and it will eventually appear on your application, whether or not we think that you're a good fit or anything else that you wanted to share with us. One of the questions that I personally ask during all of my interviews is that, is there anything in particular that you would like to share with me that you don't think would be readily apparent from your application? You know, because that's just me staring at a lot of 1500 different applications, lots of different numbers, <laughs> lots of different essays. Is there anything even beyond that that you think would, you know, would make you unique or again, a great fit for RIT? Well, we appreciate that insight. And I also know that RIT, Michael, is test optional, like many other schools. Michael, can you share the percentage of students that apply and are ultimately admitted that did not, in fact, submit their test scores? We are completely test optional, and this is something that we were moving in the direction of, but the pandemic certainly accelerated. In the darkest days of the pandemic, it was about 50-50, actually, you know, because it was very difficult to take an SAT or ACT in person or online, however it was going to be. It's moving a little bit back towards the number where I'd say it's probably 60-40 in terms of 60% of people are taking the tests. But often that's really just because more opportunities are opening up. They feel comfortable with their scores. We do super scores, so you can certainly take advantage of that. But it really has no bearing on whether or not we would decide to admit you, your eligibility for financial aid. And I can tell you, too, that I sit on the honors committee, which is really the top 1% to 3% of the RIT class and I ran the numbers before this, 53% of the students who we considered for honors were test optional. So they didn't submit test scores at all. That's, you know, literally half of them. It skewed a little bit higher in terms of the ones who were ultimately invited, but those who did submit test scores, it actually set the bar a little bit higher for them. They had to get even higher in order to make that honors because it was another number, another piece of information that they were giving us. Differential admissions, I'm going to say it again, I've said it a couple of times now, different programs, different strengths, different ranges, different scores. We do publish that middle 50% for our different colleges in terms of standardized test scores. And what we recommend is that if you fall comfortably within that range or above, feel free to submit them. It's more information. But at the same time, it's only one day in your life, maybe two if you take it twice. So if you don't want to submit them or if you're below, that's fine too. Again, we're not going to hold it against you. Well, that's great advice. And Michael, you mentioned the Honors College or the Honors Program. I was just curious, is that a separate application? And if a student is admitted, what are the benefits of being in the Honors Program? There is no separate application. It's something that we consider. So it's, we really filter the top, as I said, one to 3% of applications in terms of just academic abilities overall. But then we want to sort of break that down and go a little bit deeper. And we look very closely at extracurricular activities. We're looking for leadership and sports and performing arts. Certainly community service is always very big to me. We take another pass at the essays when looking for that. But we also want it to be diverse, both 
you know, economically as well as socially and racially, but even among the colleges, you know, you don't just want a bunch of computer science students in there. You really want to mix it up. We have nine different colleges and we want to make sure that they're all equally represented in that honors college. I do want to say it is a very small percentage of the class. So even if students aren't invited, they can still apply starting in their second year. And when we start talking about benefits, it really is, you know, it's almost like a pre-professional organization that's also a social organization. So we do have separate honors housing if students would like to participate in that, but they also have opportunities for extra advising. There's an honors trip that happens every year. There's a certain fund if they want to do study abroad, they can overload their classes a little bit more. But at the same time, there's also a leadership and a community service component that's built in there and required. So it's almost like you're joining this club before you've even started at RIT. And it's this built-in network that you have of really the top of the top students that we have here at RIT, those who we truly feel are going to make an impact and make a difference. And I want to say again, too, as I said earlier, that if you're not invited, that doesn't mean that you can't participate. You can always apply for your second year. And then we will look at you and review you based on your academics as well as extracurricular activities at RIT. Well, thank you so much for that explanation. We really appreciate it. And Michael, I was also curious, does RIT accept AP, IB, or dual enrollment classes for credit? Very simple answer is yes. We have a pretty liberal transfer credit policy. Essentially, again, depending on your program, your academic advisor will look at your transcript and see all that good stuff that you're bringing in and then interpret it for that specific program. Because again, math and science will count different for a STEM major versus a non-STEM major. And then all of that stuff is certainly going to make your application stronger because it shows that you took your interests in your academics to that higher level. And particularly if it is a course that's relevant to your desired major, it really shows your passion because you wanted to take it to that higher level. And then of course, extra preparation, that solid foundation coming into college, very challenging curriculum, it will certainly benefit you in the long run. How important a student's courses in progress and grades in their senior year, and what are you looking for when reviewing them? So in terms of the senior year, we certainly don't want you to just take it off. And I've seen that where students only take one or two classes or they're completely you know, non-related. They want to be in game design and development or engineering, and yet they only took an English class in that final year. We are looking at trends because the high school transcript is going to really be the biggest thing that you send us. It will have the most information for us. COVID at the same time also kind of blanked out several years for many people. You know, maybe it was a pass, not in pass, high pass, whatever it's going to be. So we only have as much information as you can give us. And if you do have a good trend overall, we've seen strong previous performance, you know, interest in RIT then we want to feel confident in our decision and we are more likely to feel that way that you're going to succeed while you're here and do well. So maybe we'll make a decision right then and there. At the same time, if you know there's one or two red flags, you were a little bit rocky, it happens to everyone, that's fine, but we might want to request your first quarter or mid-year grades. We are looking for successful completion of prerequisite courses. Again, if you took say chemistry or physics as well as pre-calculus for engineering, if you've got those art electives for something within art and design, we want to make sure that, again, everything is secure and safe and it's going to do well here. And then, of course, the successful graduation. So <laughs> you have to finish that high school before you come to college. And we want to make sure, again, that it worked as well for you. And again, you'll keep doing well here. Well, that's terrific. And of course, the college essay is another big piece of the overall application. 
Michael, what are some examples of college essays that really stuck with you? And when you read the essay, you said, you know, this student needs to be in our classrooms right here at RIT. Are there any examples that you could share with us? So I have to say, to be honest, the one that stuck out to me the most is the one student who blew it off. So don't do that <laughs> because he did not take it seriously at all. And it made me actively root against him in terms of that. But I really think that everyone is kind of unique in terms of admissions reading, uh, just like, you know, people's taste in reading. So ones that I tend to enjoy often cultural or involve travel or language or just about someone finding their place in the world, because that really kind of rings true to me. Overcoming hardships often stick with our admissions readers overall, but it's not as though everyone has climbed Mount Everest or won that homecoming game with two broken legs kind of thing. So I don't even think it has to be that. And there's certainly nothing wrong with a career or a college-focused essay. What we really want you to do is make it unique to you. So many different engineers have liked Lego since they were children and game design and development majors, they love gaming. But what is your own journey to follow this particular passion? What it is that you did particularly that, again, really discovered yourself and decided that this is what you want to do possibly for the rest of your life, or at least spend many thousands of dollars studying specifically. And again, why do you want to do it here? Really, why should I root for you kind of thing? Well, that's great advice and great insight. Thank you so much, Michael. And of course, the teacher letters of recommendations are another part of the application. What are you looking for in terms of helping to enhance the overall application from the teacher's letters? The teacher's recommendations are literally the last thing that we are going to see on that application. So often we're looking for some kind of confirmation or even just context for your performance. Are these teachers who are in, again, teaching classes that are related to your areas of interest that are going to be specific to your major, be they math or science or art? Are they providing any kind of additional information? And even particularly, is it going to be a little bit more personal? You know, do they have a particular story about you or a project that you worked on? You know, you got sick that one time, but you really pulled through and did that extra time with them. And it's really more of, again, kind of a tipping the weight scale thing. It's certainly not going to have as much weight as your essay and your transcripts overall. But as I said earlier, we only have as much information as you're willing to provide us. So we are looking for people who know you well and are willing to vouch for you. Understood. And Michael, a student's activity sheet, it's another piece of their application, of course. What are the kinds of things you're looking for beyond the work that they did in the classroom? Anything and everything. So I say for <laughs> recommendations, two to three is a good max because any more than that, you're just making us read a lot. But when it comes to your extracurricular activities, you don't have to be modest. You know, jobs, volunteering, if you've won any awards, clubs, performing arts, leadership, if you've had a shadowing experience, even if you don't have any of these things because you had to take care of family members. Maybe you started your own business. You know, you've got some kind of entrepreneurship idea. Certainly, you can always feel free to include a resume or other notes, portfolios, even if it's not a program that requires a portfolio, we will try and look at everything. All of this kind of stuff does come into consideration for merit-based scholarships. This goes along with your academics. And then earlier, there was that question about honors. As I said, we do look at that very closely because there's just there's more to life than math and science and time in that studio. If you're not enjoying yourself and having fun and just, again, taking part in this larger world, then what's the point? Well, that's great advice. And Michael, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I really appreciate it. In closing, 
What are the top three pieces of advice you would give a student and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? I'm about twice as old as the current college applicant. And in my day, all I had was a phone book with no pictures, with information about these colleges. So there's so much more out there. You know, visit virtually or in person. Talk to as many people as you can. Not only the admissions people, because we're great. We have a lot of general information, but also the professors and the students who are really living it day to day. Ask questions, participate in those events. Just get all the information that you possibly can because this is a place that you're going to be calling home and your community for four years or even more if you go all the way up, get a graduate degree kind of thing. So you want to make sure that you're finding a place that you're really comfortable in. Number two, ask for more money. College is expensive or not inexpensive, I should say. And at least at RIT, it never hurts to ask for more. You can always appeal your financial aid. We're not going to hold it against you. And again, this is something that you want to consider. We have great return on investment. Thanks to that co-op, that money is yours to keep. But again, make the best decision for yourself in the long run. And then finally, I really think that as long as students give it honest thought, you know, take a deep breath, realize that nothing is going to be set in stone. You can always change your mind. Even if you're halfway through, you can always transfer later. But if you really give it honest thought, what makes the best sense for me? Again, that community, the academic opportunities that I have to offer, just the overall debt load in the long run, then it'll be fine. And even if you do stumble, it's going to happen and it's inevitable, but you'll be fine in the long run. You just got to get up and keep going. Well, Michael, those are tremendous pieces of advice. It's been an honor and a pleasure to hear you articulate all the great programs that RIT has, not only in their classrooms, but beyond. I'm really happy because I know this is going to help a lot of students and their parents. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. No, truly my pleasure. And feel free to reach out to me with any questions that you do have. I love answering them. And any question that you do ask is always going to have a long, very wordy answer. But that's because I want to tell you all that much more. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, thank you again, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.